I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Alan Brandt, a professor of history of science and the history of medicine at Harvard University. Professor Brandt has written a perspective article on the effects of the AIDS epidemic on medicine and culture. Professor Brandt, one of the most striking changes affected by HIV-AIDS has been the roles that patients play as advocates and the roles they play in research and the drug approval process. Can you tell us a little about how that shift began and how it has played out in this disease and in others? Well, I think it's been one of the most important aspects of the early history of the AIDS epidemic, the emergence of patient advocacy, the idea that people with AIDS would have a fundamental contribution to make in the course of the epidemic and in securing needed resources, scientific investigation. And it really marked, in my mind, a shift in the entire orientation of patient activism and disease-specific activism from the past. What would things have looked like if that hadn't happened, if advocates hadn't sprung up? Well, I think it had just a dramatic impact on the epidemic. And one of the things that has really struck me as I've met with so many people and got to know so many people active in and around the AIDS epidemic, and especially talking to scientists and clinicians, was that they completely acknowledge um, the significance that the activists had. They acknowledge the role that patients played um, in leading to fundamental discoveries that would really aid the attack on the epidemic. You write particularly about one of the effects of that new activism, the focus on stigma and, at least to some extent, a destigmatization of AIDS. Are there lessons there about stigma more generally, about ways to combat it? Well, I think that one of the really critical aspects of the AIDS epidemic was how deeply stigmatized it was in the early days. And I have to also recognize that there are still very profound stigmas against people with AIDS and against the disease. But that said, the vocal characteristics of the activist, um, the frontline kinds of um, interventions that they made. And the pushback against the idea that AIDS was a simple problem that could easily be blamed on those who became infected really has been an impressive and committed aspect of AIDS activism, both here in the United States to start, but now around the world. And I was in South Africa five or six years ago, and you see those T-shirts where people put them on that said HIV positive. And I thought it was such a striking example of the way that communications and media can affect the meanings of disease. And as I say, this is not to say that AIDS is not stigmatized. But the idea of blaming um, victims, blaming individuals who become infected, was at the core of the stigma. And I think if we look at other stigmatized diseases, we often see that there is an element of behavior or personal responsibility. And that often leads to um, societies making the assumption that everyone who has this condition somehow brought it on themselves. And reducing that notion is a fundamental aspect, I think, of reducing stigma. You point out that the epidemic has disrupted the boundary between public health and clinical medicine, especially the divide between disease prevention and disease treatment. 
What do you think the broader implications of that change might be? It has very big implications. And I wouldn't want to claim that AIDS was the only um, significant force in eroding what had been a very significant boundary between clinical medicine and public health, between clinical medicine and preventive orientations to disease. But AIDS is a striking representation that that boundary has never really functioned appropriately in terms of both treating patients and reducing diseases in population. And now when I teach at the medical school, I find that all of the medical students are deeply interested in questions of population health and prevention. And when I teach at the School of Public Health, all of the public health students recognize that clinical interventions will be fundamentally important to generating the public's health. So the traditional boundary that public health would deal with populations, it would focus upstream on prevention, that medicine would focus too far downstream on diseases that could have been prevented, has really broken down when you see the significance, for example, of AIDS treatments, which have a um, tremendously beneficial effect to those who can take them and get them, um, as well as to prevention. Um, treating patients who are infected um, is crucial to, um, to closing down the epidemic and preventing new instances of HIV. You speak of patients who can get access to treatment. And of course, HIV led to a new commitment globally to healthcare funding, especially in developing countries. Do you think that the vertical funding programs that have focused specifically on HIV AIDS will lead to broader based improvements in healthcare systems around the world? Well, I do, and um, I'm certainly hopeful about it. And the question that you raise is such an important one because one of the conundrums of the modern treatment of disease, public health, global health, is the um, tension between approaches to specific diseases and approaches that we might call more horizontal that will make it possible for us to prevent many diseases, to treat them effectively, and lead to the better health of populations. And I find this one of the most fascinating paradoxes that so much of our attention in biomedicine as well as in disease activism has focused on single diseases when, and that's necessary, of course. But at the same time, thinking about how attention to a single disease could have benefits across a spectrum of disease that constitutes crucial aspects of the burden of disease seems to me to be one of the next fundamental steps um, in global health. And we're very much aware right now of the relationship, for example, between HIV disease and tuberculosis. The Global Fund um, has funded not just AIDS, but also TB and malaria. Um, a lot of the AIDS interventions, especially in the developing world, have led to the development of health infrastructures that could have benefits for populations far beyond the prevention and treatment of HIV. So I think critical thinking, looking ahead about disease-specific um, interventions and approaches versus disease-wide um, approaches will be one of the big issues facing global health in the future. In anticipation of that, what happens when funders pull out, for example, of 
an AIDS program in developing countries? It's, it's going to be absolutely necessary that funding not decline in significant ways. And we've seen funding decline at least modestly um, in the last few years, especially since the global recession occurred. And one of the things that we're learning from the heavy investment of funders in the prevention and treatment of HIV is the tremendous social um, populational benefits that it provides. So one of my hopes looking forward is that AIDS has become a model for very significant investment that will benefit populations around the world and that you won't see those funds um, disappear. If they do, we now know that that will have a tremendous impact on health around the world. To look at just one example, highly active antiretroviral therapy has been made available to many people in developing countries that could never have provided it on their own. What's been the effect of that effort making treatment globally accessible on the discussion about access to other medications, to other treatments in poor countries? This is really a critical area, and um, tiered payments for medications, especially for AIDS medications, was one of the central elements of making antiretroviral treatments available much more widely, especially in the global south. And it's created a model for thinking about how to distribute essential medicines much more widely. And so one hopes that the um, reduced cost of AIDS drugs in the developing world will create models for providing effective medicines for many, many different types of diseases moving forward. There's a very interesting decision this past spring by the Indian Supreme Court and um, they were asked to uphold a patent for the drug Gleevec, and they did not. They continued to let the um, Indian generic drug industry produce a generic Gleevec, and that's a drug, as you know, for cancer. And I think what you will see is as this model of pharmaceuticals that emerged actually first in some instances around um, multi-drug resistant TB, but was then applied to HIV medications, could be utilized much more broadly to provide crucial access to patients who need these drugs in poor countries. Looking at the pharmaceutical companies, has their role and the way they look at their place changed because of their actions during the AIDS epidemic? I think it's very complicated. I think it did change. and. Um, the question would be, is AIDS exceptional or is it characteristic of how they will be thinking about new products and their availability? You know, the Gleevec case is one example. The um, World Trade Organization had the Doha Agreement, which suggests that when things are critical to public health, patents may not be the most essential argument for how drugs would be priced. So again, this is an area of very needed investigation and study. Um, The pharmaceutical companies do have high research costs, but at the same time, the best way to distribute those costs across the globe remains a critical question of um, equity and access to drugs. 
We've been talking around this issue, but let me ask you directly. Your article is called How AIDS Invented Global Health. Can you say what you mean by global health and how AIDS invented it? Well, you know, obviously I don't think that a disease can invent something. But what I did really want to suggest in the article was that AIDS was a critical element, an important force in how we today think about global health, not just in the context of, of AIDS. And so that was really the notion. So many of what I see as the essential elements of contemporary global health emerged during the course of the HIV epidemic so far. And I don't think global health will be a static entity. Um, as a historian, I believe that we might talk about this particular global health and how it will change in the future. But these sets of ideals really were almost uniquely organized around a shift from international health to global health through the vehicle of the um, AIDS pandemic. And as a medical historian, what do you think we can learn from our evolving understanding of HIV infection and AIDS? Well, I think there's just so much to learn. And one of the things that I find um, very important about the current moment in time is that many of the heroes of the epidemic, people who played a critically important role in changing attitudes and values about AIDS, people who made fundamental um, scientific contributions, are aging out and they won't be available to the next generation. And this is a really important time to reflect on the history of the epidemic, which is in some ways mid-course. Um, I don't believe that epidemics only get better. And one of the things we have to recognize is that so much of the progress we made so far in combating HIV disease could be lost in this next phase. But I'm prepared to argue that understanding this history will help us to understand better how to apply some of the innovations and interventions that AIDS invented, if you will. Thank you, Professor Brandt.